I'm Millie Solomon, president of the Hastings Center, and this is the next in our series of Hastings Conversations. Today, we're gonna to focus on human germline modification, changing the human genome by making edits to eggs, sperm, or embryos, changes that will be heritable, affecting future generations. Now, we've been doing genetic engineering for decades, changing the genomes of plants and animals, and even creating new forms of life through synthetic biology. But in a great many nations of the world, until very recently, making heritable changes to the human genome has been on the other side of a red line. But that red line is fading. It seems to be turning into a yellow light, and even maybe a green one. There's active discussion around the world about whether we should now consider improving the human genome. My crystal ball tells me that while it's still new and it definitely still requires ethical oversight, once human genome modification is safe, changing the genome to prevent or cure terrible diseases is not going to be hugely controversial. But changing the human genome to make other kinds of changes for what some people call enhancement purposes, that's another matter. The ethical questions, which seemed remote before CRISPR, are very much present now. As we learn more in the coming years and decades about the genetic predictors of key traits, the question is, should we use that knowledge to change the very nature of the human species? Not to cure or prevent diseases, but should we use it to enhance ourselves, to make us perhaps smarter or taller or more athletic, maybe even kinder? Josephine Johnston is here to talk with us about these issues. Josie is a lawyer and a scholar deeply engaged with the ethical and social implications of genetics, reproductive technologies, neuroscience, and health law. And she served as a panelist at a major evening event I moderated at the New York Academy of Sciences in May. This event was something that Hastings proposed to the New York Academy, and ultimately we partnered with them and with the Aspen Brain Institute to bring these issues to an audience of over 300 people at the beautiful headquarters that the Academy has in Manhattan. So Josie's here. Thank you very much, Josie. Thanks for having me. I'm going to launch right in. Just how close are we to being able to use genetics for enhancement purposes? Can you give us an example or two? Sure. So everything I say has to be a little bit subject to the proviso that papers were published showing that CRISPR seems to be doing more damage to the genomes than initially anticipated. So um, there's a big safety question mark right now hanging over CRISPR and for its use in humans as a gene editing tool. Um, that said, there are already clinical trials ongoing for the use of CRISPR in humans, so it's, it's definitely going ahead, and those are clinical trials focused on medical conditions. They're not as controversial as the kinds of things we're talking about today, but they're things like uh, cancer treatments and other, other disorders. But whether or not we would be able to use genetics for enhancement purposes, I do think it's quite close, so there are some safety questions right now around this particular gene editing tool, but there certainly could be uses to enhance existing human traits, uh, specifically things like athletic ability through making changes related to that affect our muscles and our ability to build muscles. Other kinds of targets might be around intelligence. So for a long time we have known that genetics of intelligence is a very complex issue and very few strong genes have been identified. 
um, but there is a lot of research in this area and I think it would be very surprising if we didn't see some kinds of findings coming out soon that could be targets for a gene editing um, approach even if they would only confer very small increases in intelligence they would be um, I think still very well, if not popular, desirable by yeah, parents. Something that would receive a lot of attention. Do I? So I do think that gene editing is going to provide us with some questions around human enhancement, and it's wise to begin thinking seriously about that prospect now. And some of those uses may start out being so-called treatment or prevention. For example, you mentioned muscle strength that may have enhancement opportunities for athletics, but I believe that that's currently being looked at for a treatment reason to try to address or prevent Duchenne's. So yeah, I think that the enhancement uses could come from two different sort of lines of work. So in one line, we develop something for a particular medical condition, and we already do this, see this now with medications that are developed for a particular medical condition, but then are diverted or used as a sort of in a secondary way to, for enhancement purposes. So most of the drugs that are banned for use in sports have a medical indication, but when those are used to enhance people's athletic ability, then we see that that's like a use of an existing medical treatment for enhancement purposes. There could also be things that are developed specifically for enhancement only. If there were attempts to increase intelligence, for instance, or to deal with issues around empathy or any of those moral issues, those might be, those behaviours to target, those behaviours might start out as a straight up enhancement project. And of course, there are many people arguing for that. There's a debate raging among philosophers, social scientists, and a lot of other kinds of scholars, some who are avidly embracing the prospect of human genetic enhancement, that second route that yeah. you're talking about, and others are expressing a more cautionary view. So I thought maybe it would be helpful if you could characterize the two sides of that debate. Sure, I think it might sometimes be a surprise to people outside of academia to know that something like this has been debated so actively for a long time, but it really has the prospect of using various different biomedical tools, whether it be genetics-related tools or medic you know, medicines, drugs, to enhance human capacities has been debated inside of academia for decades now. And um, there really are, in a way, two camps, I guess. People are enthusiastic about the prospect of taking human beings far beyond our existing capacities, whether that means radically extending the lifespan, radically enhancing existing traits, so making people significantly more intelligent, have much greater memories, um, maybe have an ability to survive on far less sleep, that kind of thing or in introducing brand new traits into our, our um, biologies that we don't already have. So there are people who are very enthusiastic about using biomedical tools to radically alter humans in ways they perceive to be an enhancement. And then people who are much more cautionary about that. Obviously some are raising safety questions, but others are asking whether it's really, um, whether that really is going to make us happier and better at the end of the day to pursue those kinds of enhancement measures. Um, also some people who consider that we're overstepping the bounds of what we as humans are really supposed to be doing, so sometimes that's characterised as playing God and that's meant as a negative, as in we're overstepping our boundaries. So there are many different kinds of arguments that are thrown into this debate and, it, and like I said it's been happening for quite a long time, I just think it might, in the genetics context, be turning a corner towards something that ordinary people also may have to think about. But I think what's very interesting is that the National Academies of Science here in the United States, a bastion of scientific progress, came out with its report on human genome modification within the last year. 
And they underscore the, the use of these technologies for enhancement purposes should be really limited, perhaps even prohibited altogether. So why would the, our own National Academy, such an advocate of science, um, what are some of the reasons that they think we should be concerned or that you, yeah. in your own thinking, think are uh, cautionary points? So I don't have a religious perspective on this, but I, I've tried to characterize my own sort of concerns around the, the use of enhancement purposes and I've kind of settled on like four different issues. I do think that there um, is a means-ends issue here. So by that I mean that there are two different ways sometimes to get to the same outcome. So I might... Um, develop immunity to a disease by getting vaccinated or by having the disease and recovering and being now immune. Now, in that context, I think most of us would say it's okay to shortcut, to take the shortcut really and to use and to just get to the immunity through a vaccination. Rather than getting sick ourselves. Yeah, mm -hmm. okay. But then we might not say the same thing about learning music, right? Or about learning a second language or about becoming an athlete. That actually the hard work teaches us a lot along the way and that the kind of engagement that parents and teachers and the rest of us need to do with each other in order to learn is actually something that we want to value. So I think thinking about the difference you know between ends and means can help us understand why shortcuts to different outcomes might not always be the favored way of getting there especially with things we value in our society like becoming a kinder person like if you could just be it versus if you actually understood why it was good to be kind to others so there's that issue and there's also a bit of a, of a question around hubris I think so we're pretty clear at this point that like cancer is not a good thing but we've when it comes to some other kinds of human traits and behaviours, there's a lot of, um, you know, we've made mistakes in the past about something being a problem. So you only have to look at the fact that homosexuality was characterised as a mental disorder not that many decades ago and was in the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual as a diagnosis. And now we understand that homosexuality is just a different way of being. It's just part of the diversity of human life. It's not a disease or a disorder. Um, Yet had we, so we have to have sort of a, a kind of a, an acknowledgement that we sometimes get it wrong. And so being very, very cautious, I think, is appropriate when it comes to traits that are not clearly associated with huge amounts of physical suffering and mental suffering the way that diseases are. So that's part of the other reason that people are a little weary about enhancement traits, especially in an inheritable way, which would be permanent. So you could imagine parents trying to select or um, change genes that are associated with bias or suspect cultural norms yeah. or discrimination against certain kinds of people. I mean, we're, there's a real echo here of the eugenics movements of the past when you think about making changes to pursue what sort of some people's ideas about what good is. So I don't think that future enhancement would be mandated the way that the eugenics movement was a sort of state-driven, top-down approach. But you could imagine people feeling significant amounts of pressure to be to try to shape their children in ways that conform to social norms that we might actually think are suspects. So, for instance, somebody might a black um, woman might decide that she would want to have a child who had pale skin because she knows she lives in a racist society, and so that person might be freely, if you like, making that choice, but also be doing so because we have not created a society that is more fair and equal, and so. I do think that the pressure to compl be complicit with or conform to social norms that are suspect or that we actually need to be addressing through other means could be quite strong in this context. And I would hate for us to fail to address those issues at a more systematic or systemic level, which might be a different kind of intervention, right? Not changing the skin color of children to deal with racism, but actually addressing racism through education and learning, which are like 
not biomedical interventions, but make changes to people that improve them in the long run. So we we want a better society, we want better people, but we don't necessarily have to imagine that all of that can come through some kind of genetic change. That was Josephine Johnston, the Director of Research here at the Hastings Center. You can learn more about the Hastings Center's work on ethical and social implications of gene editing by visiting us on the web at www.thehastingcenter.org.